Hey, everybody. Welcome to Losing Your Mind with Chris Cosentino. I am in the office here surrounded by cookbooks and old skateboards hanging on the wall with uh, my good friend Tommy Guerrero, who actually grew up right down the street. This is true. I did. Right down there on 7th Ave. My mom's still there. Which is crazy. Yeah. So literally, like, when you guys filmed Bones Brigade, you were... Which, which street was that on? Um, several hills. You know, it's, it's about a mile and a half of hills. You start at the top and you come down. It's like 9th Avenue, 11th Ave. You know, you kind of weave in and out. But all of these hills, we're surrounded by... We're right in the same location where I grew up skating all these hills for, you know, 40 years ago. 40, ooh, 40 plus. Shh. Shh, don't say that. <laughs> um, and uh, and yeah, you just you take the bus up, you drop a nickel in, you take the bus up, get a transfer, ride all the way down. It's like a, it was our ski lifts, you know, which was amazing. So and you get to the end and you just do it again, but you have a transfer, so you could ride all, almost all day for a nickel. It was incredible. That's rad. Yeah, it's changed quite a bit, hasn't it? It's not a nickel anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you can't what get is anything it? for a nickel? No, it, you, no, you can't <laughs> even get a little bazooka bubblegum. Used to be a nope. Nope, not anymore. Was it like 50 cents? You can't now? even get punched in the face for a nickel. I'm sure you can get punched in the face for a nickel. I don't know. Depends on where you <laughs> hang out. It's true. <laughs> TL probably. So growing up in San Francisco, right, you you skated vert. Yes. A lot of people don't know that. It's because we grew up, uh, you know, skating the streets first early on, right? I, and uh, But we, when the skate park started opening, there was one in Alameda, the first one in Northern California. I think that was 76. And so we went over there. um, We got a ride with, um, it was uh, the shop owner. The guy had a van and he would take all the kids to the skate park. It was super cool. And so let's just put this into perspective. That could never happen today. I know. A dude comes by with a van and offers to take the kids to the skate park. Which is, you know, just unfortunate because really, truly, most people are good. Yeah, of course. You know, and it's just our perception of things now. And it's so fucked. Oh, beyond. It's just, yeah, I don't, yeah. There was some, it was the same thing where I grew up. There was a a local dude who owned a paint shop that knew that there was no skate shop in our town. And he turned it into a paint shop. Half of it was a skateboard shop. So all the kids had a place to get boards, to hang out, to be safe. He would show videos. Same thing. But now if that, I mean, people would be like, that dude's a little weird. Yeah, it's, it's. It's terrible because, you know, skate shops is where we grew up, where we hung out. It was a safe place to go after school, you know, it was building community and fuck, it was, it was awesome. You would watch videos when, you know, way back when I was skating, there was no videos, there was no nothing. <laughs> there was, you know, there was barely even electricity. But um, anyway, so going back to going to the skate parks, when the skate park started opening here in Northern California, we, uh, you know, we'd get rides from different people. We'd take BART once uh, the parks opened like Winchester and Milpitas in the South Bay, we'd hop a bus, we'd hop BART, we'd hop another bus, and then we'd skate. It was about maybe a two-hour journey to get to the skate park, and uh, then we'd skate all day long. Of course, it cost. At that time, you had to have a membership, and it cost, you know, per hour or per day. Now, there's a skate park on every corner. They pop up like fucking weeds. Which and they're free. And they're free. Um, so, yeah. So, you know, we grew up skating, you know, bowls and and, and uh, snake runs and all, all that kind of stuff. But we... We skated everything. We just skated. There was no, I'm a this, I'm a that. There, it wasn't fragmented in that way. Um, I grew up, I have, I still have trophies and ribbons from 77 that are high jump, long jump, freestyle, and like downhill. You know, and it's, you just skated. You entered everything. You did everything. It was just, you know, it was a different time. Um, it wasn't, like I said, it just wasn't so 
so uh, segregated as a skateboarder. I'm a street skater. I'm a vert skater. I'm a this skater. Just skated. So anyway, so all the parks, you know, started popping up um, in the late 70s, but they all closed quickly in, in the early 80s, uh, 80, 82, somewhere in there. They all started shutting down because um, of liability, right? So it was just back to the streets. It was just what it was, out of necessity to skate. So, I mean, it, it, me growing up on the East Coast, it was, San Francisco was like it, right? I'll be straight up. We, it was like, man, we got to go to SF. It's yeah. the coolest place. Like, you were here, Mickey was here, like this this whole Julian Stranger, like there was this whole world of skating out here and like we were talking about earlier it's like skaters in the east coast in the middle of the summer would wear long pants and hoodies because they wanted a copy of san francisco yeah. not realizing <laughs> that it was cold as all shit yeah. in the middle of the summer here That's right <laughs> but it, it was a different i mean you guys had so much going on here it from the east coast it seemed like the epicenter yeah well what what year like did you start skating late 80s or or were you early Let's see, graduated um, early 80s. Early 80s. So, but because it, it seems like you had more of your heyday in the 90s, right? Yeah. And that, and that's when like Mike Carroll and Henry Sanchez. Oh, yeah. And, you know, uh, Chico and all, and you know, James Kelch and all the EMB dudes, you know, were pushing skating and Embarcadero was happening. And everybody was seeing probably from about 87, 80, maybe 88 to probably... I don't until even now that skate San Francisco was a mecca, right? Oh, it's insane! Like um, everybody had perceived it that that way from all over the world. Well, you, you know, everybody was bombing the streets and here, and you know, there was the Gons Gap, yeah, down down at Embarcadero, yeah. yeah. And for instance, I used to skate with Eric Pupecki, Ripper, every day, yeah. Like he, the two I would skate against in contest, and then we'd go skate all through Providence together or the parks. And he moved out here. Yeah. You know, he was ripping. Oh, yeah. He was a great skater. But I think there's so much of what was going on out here that was such a draw. You know, you had good climate pretty much all year round, minus the rain. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, we didn't get that much. But you didn't get snow. You just got, no, but we got, it was just great, constant fog. I mean, really, in the sunset, you know, where I grew up, constantly foggy. So, as, I mean, you had this pretty amazing experience through skateboarding i mean you you were skating you know bryce you would hang out with bryce yeah and your brother yeah and a lot of people you know and music too i mean you there's so many moving parts like yeah let's like let's talk free beer wow (laughs) free beer is always a good option um well so what really what's interesting is there was an opening the other night, Michael Jang, photographer. Mm-hmm. He had a, a show opening, and he was at the concert that the Ramones played in, I think, early 79 in front of City Hall. And me, my brother, and Bryce cut school to go see the show. And that really set me on the trajectory of like, okay, I need to do some. I need to do this. I need to play music. I need to, you know, get into this whole scene. Punk was just calling. Because it was hand-in-hand with skating. It was just a big fuck you to everything. Yeah. And that's why I was drawn to it, you know, as a little kid. You're like, wow, this is amazing. All the weirdness is just incredible. So we went we went to that and Michael Jang had photos in his show from that the other night. And I was like, it just was, you know, so many things will come full circle. 
They're like, wow, I was at that show. It changed my life. And me and my brother and, and Bryce cut school to go see that show. And if we hadn't, like our mom said not to, um, <laughs> you know, who knows what would have happened if we would have started playing ba in, in bands together. Because Bryce started playing bass. I was singing at that point. It was around, I think this is late 79 or something. And then, um, and then I switched to playing bass. And Tony was on drums at first, and he switched to guitar, et cetera. And then Free Beer was the last incarnation of our of our punk bands and uh we our last show was in 84 we played with suicidal and angry samoans at uh, i think it was a long was it longshoreman's hall can't remember i'm getting old um but yeah it was insane our last show was in 84 we played with fear at the elite club which is actually the fillmore in 82 and that was fucking insane shrugi i don't know if you know shrugi a good friend of ours who used to sing for one of our bands called revenge we had since we were you know known as free beer and it was during that era when they did all the generic uh, products yeah and so the beer just said beer. beer on it so we got a sharpie and we wrote free on a whole case of beer <laughs> above it and he was throwing them out at the crowd as we were playing full beers hucking them out there and i was like oh my god you're gonna kill someone you know like <laughs> dude but it was you know it was pretty lawless um but yeah so Growing up skating at that time was hand in hand with, with punk and music and all the DIY, you know, ethos. Um, it just, it was a time when you can still, like as a little kid, you could get into these clubs. I snuck into the Mab. I played the Mab a bunch of times on Broadway, all those places, places where I shouldn't be, you know. And um, speaking of that, I heard you were the shit stirrer. Uh, that's sometimes true, yes. But. <laughs> You know, uh, I don't know if Tony if Tony had ever told you, but they snuck me in one of our first shows at the Mab. They snuck me in the drum case, in the kick drum case. They put me in there. <laughs> he never told me, in. me that one. Yeah, and uh, and I pop out, and we played the show. And Dirk, you know, who was who was uh, running the club, Dirk Dirksen, notorious for many things, um, was like, "What the hell is that little kid doing in here?" You know, but he let us finish the set. <laughs> so, but yeah, so I mean, because you know, I looked much younger than I was. I was probably fourteen. 13 14 but i was i probably looked like i was 10 um so yeah so for us skating and music went hand in hand me and my brother on our father's side <clears throat> have a lineage of musicians he was a, my father was a musician his three brothers were and my grandfather was a jazz guitarist and my grandmother was a singer so they had these big bands together and then my my father and his three brothers had like doo-wop groups together growing up in san francisco my father, I guess, played the Fillmore and played a bunch. Played all the clubs up on Fillmore, you know, in the jazz district, way back when. Um, so it was in our blood, you know. That's what it was. And our mom was totally cool with us making noise in the garage. So did you teach yourself to play? Yeah, I'm still trying to teach myself how to play. I, I think you're doing I just still fine. Don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I think there's. Um, I I definitely think there's an audience in Japan who would say otherwise. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's. We just did that tour in Europe, and there was a. It was. It was really cool. People were super stoked that we came out and played because um, it had been so long, and you know, these tours are self-funded, you know, and there's no money. So, as you know, in music. Um, but anyway, let's go back to skating. So, with that, at that time, I mean, you, you're skating with Bryce yeah. and your brother. Yeah. And. You've also got a whole slew of folks in this community here that are literally showing up at your door, hanging out at your house. Yeah. Your mom is rad, by the way. Yeah. <clears throat> She's rad. She fed everybody. Like, I met your mom by chance one day. Yeah, that's right. Which was crazy. Yeah. And she walked up, introduced herself to me. 
you know? And she's like, I, I think you know my son. And I'm like, I don't know. Who's your son? <laughs> and we just had this full lengthy conversation. And then you were telling me these amazing stories about how people would just like show up, travel from wherever and knock on the door and she'd be like, on the couch. Yeah. Yeah. That, that happened quite often. And, you know, we would, we, and on Sundays in Golden Gate Park, they still close off the street and we would go there, you know, probably 1980, this is 1980 to, you know, I don't know, 85 or something. We would go there and we would freestyle or we would set up, you know, quarter pipes or launch ramps or whatever. And we'd go out and we'd uh, skate, you know, all day in the park where it was closed. And then we'd all come back to my house. My mom would make a big pot of spaghetti and everybody was there. And it was funny because there was an era when, you know, we had a bunch of good friends like Mike, Michael Brown, Monty Smith, um, Marlon Jackson, Joe Fong was in BK and me and my brother. And we just had this crew of friends. And, and Michael Brown is son of Willie Brown, the Willie Brown, mayor, ex-mayor of San Francisco and so forth. Um, and we would go stay at his house and he had built ramps in his backyard. So we had just a really co cool crew of friends that, um, you know, we grew up skating together. And experiencing all this stuff, but me and me and BK and Tony took it a little farther, and then Tony got more into music, and I just kept pushing forward with skating. And then, you know, the, when the day came when Powell wanted to sponsor me, then it was then it was on. So how did that how did that come about? Because I know Bryce was always shooting pictures of you. I mean, I've seen yeah. Bryce has shown me some of his great photos when he used to just carry a little tiny camera and take pictures of everybody. And but Bryce went his route skating and mm -hmm. shooting the whole time which yeah. is amazing it is amazing and then powell found you and how did that come to be well um it was there was one contest in golden gate park it was the first street style in quotes air quotes uh contest um and that was 83 i think 82 83 and it was, it was, you know, some obstacles set up going down a slight grade in Golden Gate Park. And all the pros were there, all the vert pros, you know, Neil Blender, Billy Ruff, Jay Adams was there, um, you know. And it was the first contest of its kind. And I, I won the contest. I beat all these pros. Nobody knows who I am. And um, so that kind of set me on a, on a trajectory of being in the Thrasher mag and getting, taking photos with Kevin Thatcher and BK and Mofo. And then, so the next contest it did happen to be in Golden Gate Park was another street contest, the second one. Uh, Stacy was there, Peralta. And he seen me skate and liked the way I skated, but he didn't say anything to me. He went to, up to my brother and was like, hey, you know, I, I want to talk to you. And what do you think about Tommy writing for Powell, et cetera? And, and uh, then at the end of the day, my brother told me this and I didn't believe him. I'm like, fuck you. He's, he's always giving me shit, right? I'm like, fuck you. He's like, no, really? he's interested in you writing for Powell. And, I was, and we called Powell the dream team. So the, the, the day before that contest, I'll rewind for a sec. There was a, there was a skate jam at Joe Lopes ramp and I was there skating. Um, and I slammed and, and, and so I took, I was like, all right, I'm done. And I was kicking it on, on the roof watching. And Stacy came up and said, Hey man, I like the way you skate. And I was skating vert. And I was looking around like, who are you talking to? You're talking to me. Like, that's fucking weird. Um, so, so the next day the contest happened and he wanted me to ride for Powell and he called my mom, spoke with my mom about it. And, you know, I was, of course I was hundred percent in, and you can see, like I, I had ridden for Madrid at that point and you can see there's a first cover that I had in Thrasher 84 of April, I think it is. And I'm riding the free Powell freestyle wheels. 
that's like the transition right there from Madrid to Powell because I was riding the Powell wheels. So that's kind of the sign of the, of the change. And then everything from there, man, it, as you know, from 85, it went nuts. full throttle, full throttle, completely nuts. I turned pro in 85. Uh, my board didn't come out till 86 cause Powell takes forever to do anything. And so I was a year, a whole year being pro, not getting paid, you know, other than what I was winning at contest. And, and I think I got 25 bucks from Indy and, and that was it. <laughs> so, so yeah, so it took a whole year for my board to come out. But at that time, we, then we just started traveling like crazy. Skating was getting huge and we just, and we just started traveling all year long. And there was a point when we had to sign contracts stating that we would do no less than 36 demos a year, which, you know, now that's a lot. Yeah. I mean, that's every weekend just about of doing demos, but we would go, we would hit the road and we'd be out all summer in the U S in the van get, you know, first it was a country squired, you know, George's old wagon, put the jump ramp on the top. And it's like me and like Rodney and, you know, Lance and Kevin Harris and these guys, you know, in the van or in, the, in this, you know, wagon trying to navigate our way across the country with a map, you know, this is pre everything. And so, so who's like, just, so Stacy's not with you guys when you're doing, no, no, no. So they're us. like, okay, here's a map. Here's a map. Here's a car. Here's like some gas money. Here's gas money. Maybe a credit card. If you guys need it. I don't think we had a credit card, but okay. You have to be here and here and here on these times I, at, this, at this date at this time. And we would drive eight hours in the middle of nowhere to get to a parking lot in front of a shop where there's, you know, a thousand kids waiting for us screaming, screaming. And we're late of course, cause we don't know where the hell we're going. And then you, you got to set the ramp up. Yeah. Then you got to set the jump ramp up, take it off the top of the van or the car and, and set everything up. Then you got to throw yourself around the dirty parking lot. And then, you know, you sign, you know, autographs and stuff after talk to the kids and then hightail it, you know, to the hotel and try to make, or try to make it to the next state. So this, you know, this is get in the van. This is the same thing as, you know, touring as a musician, you know, but what's interesting about it is like to think about that, like, and you're how old when you're doing this? Like 40. I'm what 106 now. Um, I don't know. I, I was pretty young. I was, but I wasn't that young. I was no. Probably, you weren't that young, but yeah, it's yeah. just like 85. But it, but it's still. It's like let a whole 18? bunch of yeah, let a whole bunch of kids loose. Yeah, with a shitload of skateboards. Here's a car, a ton of money to get your gas, your your butts there. We have hotels arranged for you when you get there. Yeah. Go, go. Yeah, like. If my son came up to me right now and goes, hey, dad, I'm going to be like, hell no. You're like, no, you're not. You're not going anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. You're fucking tripping. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. And, you know, I remember when <clears throat> the tour came, you guys came, you came to Water Brothers. Yeah. And, and it was you and it was Tony and who else came that year? There was no freestyle because the parking lot was a mess. Um, who came? Uh, there was a couple. There was like, it, it could have been like Adrian or even it was if, Adrian. If Steve Size was around at that point, yeah, it wasn't Size. It was um, I I'm not. I'm gonna spout out his name in a little bit. I can't. I mean, you know, there's McGill and there's Kevin Harris and of course Rodney. No, because um, there was a. I know they were dividing. Amateur, maybe it was an AM because I remember they were dividing you guys up and there yeah. was a certain amount of pros and a certain amount of the AMs would go with you guys on tour at that yeah. point. And I'll, I remember that because then a whole slew of us were like, all right, we're not hanging out at the vert ramp. Let's all go to Parati Park and skate. So everybody skated up and over the hill and bombed down and skated all through Newport. I remember with a whole slew of dudes. I was just, oh. it was one of those times where everybody was just, holy shit, 
the fucking Bones Brigade's in town. <laughs> like, this is cool. Like, they're on our turf. Yeah. And it was, but it's amazing because it really opened everybody's eyes to like what, because you guys viewed everything in a different light that we were already looking at it. Oh, completely. I mean, we were just doing it. And, you know, which is interesting. Everybody put us up on this pedestal and made it this big thing. And the truth is we were just stupid skateboarders like everyone else, just skating. And um, I always find it interesting how, you know, people saying, you know, you guys inspired us, you changed my life, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm like, wow, I, it, I wasn't, that was not at all what I was after or, or even, you know, there's, that's not at all why I was skating. Right. I mean, it's, it was to maintain sanity really. But I think, and I think that's actually a really super important point because you guys did do that for a lot of people, not recognizing it, not intending to, but you, it inspired people to be comfortable being in a group of people that all did different things that could all get along, right? That's what was cool about the Bones Brigade. Hmm. You were, a, you know, you were, yeah, quote unquote, yeah, yeah. street. Yeah. Then you had Rodney, who was the king of freestyle. The king of freestyle, sure. Modern street skating, I would say. Yeah. Now. Now, um, and then you had Lance, and you had Cab, and. You know, you had Hawk, but everybody was different, but appreciated in their own way. And I think what that did was teach a lot of people to learn to get along and appreciate everybody else who for they were. And to me, I think, you know, it pushed us to be better, to get along. To Like my best friend was a freestylist. Everybody's like, why do you skate with him? He's so weird. <laughs> I'm like, dude, the kid can do things like I can't even comprehend. And he taught me to be better. And it's like, I think that's what, what it, it, it was it's kind of like a band of misfit toys, yeah. but everybody worked harmoniously together. Yeah. And I think that's what was so inspiring for so many people. Yeah. But you know, and I just look at it and I always have is we're just skaters and, and just because you're, you know, discipline is a different thing that, you know, I can't do or, or I don't do or, or, or I don't do as good. It doesn't mean I can't appreciate it, you know? And, and that's a thing that's still to this day with skating, right? Like I can, any skating is like, blows my mind you know whether it's flat ground whether it's ledge street stuff rail stuff park stuff vert i can't comprehend all my it's all mind-blowing to me so and we all got along too uh i had known stevie from uh the skate parks in the south bay from way back before he rode for pal way before that so i i already knew steve um and then so you know hanging out with lance lance is the, the funniest guy on earth he always made everything fun and and I did a lot of time with Tony on the road, and when we were doing those stupid movies like Gleaming the Cube, I stayed. We stayed, uh, you know, at a, at his sister's home, and uh, for several months while we're filming that, and we're we're supposed to be teaching Christian Slater how to skate, and we'd go to the schoolyard and meet him. He'd just be like, ah, you go, you guys go skate. I'm just gonna practice or whatever. And like, all right, we're getting paid to teach him, and we just go skate all day. <laughs> I mean, so, that's so, that yeah. must have been a crazy experience. Like, okay, here we go. Bones Brigade, we're skating. All of a sudden, skating becomes massive. Yeah. Huge. It explodes. Like, uh, there's the first... Um, Tom Petty does a video of skating in it. Yeah. Right? Boom. It's on him. Then another video comes out, and it's got uh, In Excess skating in it. Right? So it's like, boom, boom. And then there's movies. Yeah. And they're calling you guys to come in and like... Yeah, because hey. Stacy was part of that world. You know? he was. He's part of that... Uh... Uh, Hollywood really you know from directing and, and and so forth and he he had seen something 
in us and wanted us to take on these whole other roles. And, and you, you know, you try to get us to act in Animal Chin. And, and uh, there was a bunch of stuff that was cut out of Gleaming the Cube and Police Academy, uh, you know, uh, lines and so forth. Um, just because we're, we're just awkward, right? And young and we're not actors. But he's trying to put us in these roles where we're trying to act, right? And it just, it was really funny. But, but the thing about it is that was great um, is you got paid really well. I mean, to be honest, it was incredible. More than skating ever paid. So that, that opportunity was, was huge. Um, the Gleaming the Cube thing was, we always thought it was funny. We, we just sort of laughed at it and made fun of it because it was, you know, ridiculous movie. I mean, it was the story and so it just... The picture of you guys with wigs it, on and yeah, stuff was, I mean, was the, pretty good. The, the I mean. whole, I mean, there was the continuity aspect of like, of the main character, Christian Slater's character. He was goofy foot in one shot and then he's regular foot in another and then he's goofy in another and he had like three or four different people playing his part and, you know, as a skater, it's like, oh my God, that is, that's, come on. Let's get it together. You can at least have him not switch stance, you know, when he's skating vert, <laughs> and then when he's skating, and when he's doing freestyle, you're like, you know, ambidextrous skating hasn't arrived by then. Solomon Ga hasn't arrived on the scene. Just change up things and start skating switch, you know. So, <clears throat> just that we just thought it was super corny, but we are all, but we're all down to do it to, for the experience of it, and it was fun to do, and they do it did pay well, um, and you can, you know, you reflect on that stuff, and you're like, wow. That was wild that we even had the opportunity to do that. It's incredible. And is so Gleaming the Cube came before Police Academy, right? I think so, yes. And that yeah. one was not and that's two big ones. Yeah, yeah. Police Academy four. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was interesting because we're up in we're in Canada, I believe, and we were filming at night. So it was literally two to five in the morning or six in the morning when we were skating all the night shots. And we would be doing, you know, skating skating these plazas or skating um there was this one fountain they had us jump over they put a bit of, built a big jump ramp over this fountain and put a big uh, uh, uh air airbag on the other side of the fountain you know so you weren't even landing you're just flying through the air and you land on this airbag and but these were stunts that we were doing right and so there would be moments in time when they would say hey could somebody do you know like jump off that and land on this and do this and i i raised my hand like yep i can do it because you get these stunt bumps so you're like, that one's worth 700 bucks, Bob. I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. See, but those are things that you would have never yeah. have any idea. Oh, yeah. It was incredible. I was I was on every one of them. I'd be like, yep, I'll do it. I'll do that one. I'll do that one. I don't care. <laughs> it was, it was, that was pretty cool. That was a good time. And that, and so after, you know, and you guys had been traveling the world. Yeah. Everywhere. I mean, it wasn't just U.S. tours anymore. It's no, we were going to Europe a lot. Like, that's where I was, you know, we go to Europe, it seemingly at least a couple times a year and do full tours, um, you know, do, I don't know how many different countries, five different countries. And Skate camps were starting to blow up. Yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't, that was, like, I wasn't around, I didn't do any of the skate camps in Europe. Um, that was early on when, when McGill invented the 540 at the, I think, the Swedish skate camp. I think that was like 83. So that was early on before 83, 84 or something before I was even on PAL um, when they ha were having those skate camps in, in Europe. And um, so we just did demos. I mean, we would, so we did, 
we would do demos all over Europe, but there specifically we'd you know end up we'd do demos in the UK, and they had these big vert ramps, a big steel ramp, and and I would just end up chilling and watching. And uh, we were there. There was this one time, and we had, it was our second time there, I believe. And I think it was me, Mark Sai, not Mark Sato, maybe Stevie, and maybe Lance. I can't remember the because there was a couple times, but anyway. So we're skating, they're skating, we're hanging out at this ramp doing this demo, and this kid comes up and goes, hey, you know, I'd, I'd like to invite you over to our home for dinner, you know, I think his mom was with him, and, and, uh, and you know, we come over and have dinner and blah, 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 and everyone's kind of like, um, I don't know, who is this kid? <clears throat> and this, you know, I think the promoter of the events tells us that this is, you know, George Harrison's son. You might want to take them up on it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we're like, okay, we do. They send a car and we go to the castle where he, where they live. They lived in a castle and we went to the castle and George was there and he gave us the tour, showed us, you know, all the, he had all the Beatles gold records and all that stuff everywhere, but he was, he was so not into it. He's like, yeah, I, I haven't, I got to take all this stuff down. I'm not into it. You know, he was super down to earth, really nice dude. He showed us his studios, you know, talking about working with the traveling Wilburys and actually Roy Orbison was supposed to be coming over uh, around that time, but he had died right before, <clears throat> right before that, like two days before we were there. And so he was, he was pretty bummed out, wow. but, he, but he was, you know, gracious enough to, you know, host a bunch of stupid skateboarders. And they, so they had this underwater cavern that went under the castle and you take these little boats through these little trips, you know, underneath, un underneath the, the castle and, and it, just huge. I mean, it was a huge plot of land and, and it was a castle. And so it was pretty amazing. So we had dinner and then afterwards I'm sitting, it's just me and George uh, sitting out on his lawn drinking a beer together. And I, I was never a Beatles fan. So I was like, ah, cause I grew up as a punker and I was like, fucking fuck the Beatles. Fuck every, you know, like, ah, fuck all that. And so I, I just, I didn't have a disdain for him necessarily at all. I just wasn't into the Beatles. And, and it, so it didn't have the gravity that it should have in the moment. I was just, we were just talking, hanging out, just me and him, because everybody else was off doing stuff. It's pretty wild. When you reflect on that stuff, you're like, oh, wow, that's crazy. <laughs> just these opportunities because of skateboarding. That's amazing. Yeah. And I just remembered who it was, who was, it was Ray Underhill that was with you guys. Oh, okay. Here. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> who is no longer with us in, in human form, but he's with us in spirit. Yeah. So, you made a transition from Powell at that point, and then you, yeah, not but, at that not at that yeah, moment. But, but there, there was a point like uh, in the late eighties, um, there was you know newcomers coming up behind me, street skaters, the, the rippers, you know Mario and um, and uh, Guy Mariano, and and um, Rudy and and all those dudes, all the LA kids, um, were coming up and. At, the, at that time, skating was viewed more like sports, where like out with the old, in with the new. You just kind of tossed people, and it was pretty fucked up, to be honest. Um, so I felt, I felt the heat coming. I felt that I was being put on the back burner and knew that I, something needed to shift here. Um, and they were kind of, I, like I said, I, I kind of felt that they weren't giving me the attention that, th that they were in the past, and... They were kind of seeing me as, you know, the the elder on the team. And so I, there was contest was in the city, one of the like disco in Frisco or, or one of those ones that happened in front of City Hall in the fountains. I remember that one. Yeah. Like T 
TM came up, Todd, and he had said something, you know, to me that led me to believe they're going to cut me. And I ended up, I think, winning that one or I got second. I can't remember. And it was kind of, and it, you know, he thought like, oh, I'm kind of on my way out. And here I am, you know, winning this contest. And he's like, oh, oh maybe I better, better think twice about this. Right. Still can sell some boards. You know, he still can make money off me. So, but at that contest, um, Jim and, and actually came up to me was Fausto Vitello, who started Thrasher Magazine, Independent Trucks, Fausto and Eric Swenson, you know, came up to me and they were starting this, the company called Real. And this guy, Jeff Clint, um, who was spearheading it with them, and Jim Thebo, who's my partner now, um, they were all on board. And I had known Fausto and Eric before they even made Indy or Thrasher because they used to work out of a bike shop down on 25th and Irving. And that's where they're, and they could, they sold skateboards out, out of there too. That's where I got one of my first boards. And I met them at that shop when they were building stroker trucks. I don't know if you know those trucks, but no. if any skaters out there don't know stroker trucks, but predated Indy and all that, um, look them up. Cause they're crazy. They're built on like the, on the idea of like a car suspension and how independent steering is, you know, each, each wheel, each axle floats differently. So that's how the name independent came up, came, came to be. Cause if you just got to see this truck, it's a monster, but it turned insane. So, the, so they had a bunch of slalom guys riding on these trucks. So basically you had basically four wheel traction going on, like yeah. four independent yeah. four wheels. Yeah. It was bizarre. You got to see these things. They're huge and they were heavy and bulky and just crazy looking. But anyway, so I knew those guys since back then I had been part of, you know, the Thrasher family since the beginning um, and it just made sense to me. Like, yeah, uh, let's do this. Let's start it. And it was called Real Skateboards. They already had the name. Um, and me and Jim became two of the, the co-founders of, of Real at that point. Um, and we were partners with Eric and, and Fausto, um, who, again, like I said, I've known since I was like nine. That's amazing. Yeah. So when, when, I, when I felt the heat coming from Powell, that was it. I, I knew I had to make a change. I was going from you know, making a pretty well, a pretty decent living from Powell to making maybe a third of what I was making with Powell, you know, um, which was, a, which was, you know, uh, a bit of a leap um, and a leap of faith in the sense, can we make this work um, and make it happen? So that, that's how it started. And I told Powell, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm out. I quit. And I talked to Stacy about it and he seemed understanding until I seen him at the next contest and gave me the cold shoulder, like a motherfucker. And, and I was like, oh, I thought we were beyond this. I thought you understood. He because he did the same thing. He left GNS to start Powell, right? So this to start Powell Peralta. So that's it's you did it too. You should be understanding. You should know, and you should know who all those young kids you picked, all the street skaters who are coming up behind me. You know that you're going to turn them all pro, and you're going to axe me. So, so yeah. So that's how real came to be, really, and um, really, and it's been 28 years, still going. So I remember when the, when real came and the first board showed up and it was the straight up SF known graphic. Yeah. That was a big to do. Yeah. The oval it yeah. was based on a local sports team. We unnamed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Because, you know, growing up here, it just, it seemed to make sense. And, but it was really Jim Thibault's graphic hanging Klansman that just shook Oh, the yeah. Entire industry. <laughs> I remember and, that board too. Yeah, he used to get death threats. He would get death threats. He got a call from like the Grand Wizard 
Did he really? Yeah. And they're like full death threats and everything. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, it was pretty intense graphic for, for its time. Did he get the same amount of calls from the reissue? I don't know. Probably. I'm, I'm sure he got tons of grief on social media, you know, but there are so many people that also back it and support it. Oh yeah. So it outweighs the ignorance by far. But, um, but yeah, so, you know, having those boards as, as the first boards hitting the market was, uh, yeah, it was, it was an interesting time. I mean, we, that was when, so when we started it, we were just doing it. It was me and him and Jeff and, and we had, you know, a handful of other team riders, those guys like Henry and Sluggo and Max and, and we we're all just trying to do it. So there was a point in time where we're like, you know, oh, we got to go do demos. Right. And we were in the middle of the winter. We were in um, Ohio in the middle of winter driving in the freeway in this storm. And I'm just thinking, is, is it, is this worth it? Worth it? Like, um, we're going to die out here, <laughs> you know, dr- literally driving through snowstorms in the middle of winter because we're trying to promote real. Right. I mean, that's what you do. It's like, all right, let's hit the ground running. Let's do this. And, and you know, we were just doing indoor events like skating, mini ramps and stuff. Um, but that's what you had to do. But, and what we ended up doing when we were doing demos, which was different than the teams at the time, like Powell and the, and the big companies was we would skate with everyone. We'd have everyone skate with us at the demos, whoever wanted to skate and open it up. So it wasn't seen as like we were, you know, these pros being, you know, um, putting ourselves on some pedestal as though, you know, we are better than Dow and so forth. And we just like, no, we're just skaters and we just want to skate with everyone. And the shop owners didn't understand. We're like, no, no, everyone's going to skate with us. They thought we we're going to put on a show and, you know, and, and go through that whole um, deal. And we just, we didn't want to do that. So we changed the game. Like everybody just skated with us at all of our demos. It was fun. It was so much more fun. And, and the kids were felt so much more part of it. And, and that brought in that, you know, humanity, right? You're like, oh, these guys are just normal dudes, just skaters. They're well, not, it took the edge off. It allowed them to say, hey, how did you do that? Or Completely, and it took the edge off for us. We weren't these, you know, show ponies, you know, <laughs> being paraded like, okay, perform, you know, perform my little monkeys. Because <laughs> that's how you felt so often, you know, like, turn it on. And some days you just didn't have it because some days you were hurt, you're sore every single day for, I don't know how three months. Yeah, I mean, I can, I can, I can't imagine what it's like because I remember being there watching, and people skating, and it was like, oh yeah, and it's like the same, you know. You can tell when you go to a show, like a concert, like if there's skaters there because you're like, ooh, it's the same sound if somebody yeah. makes the trick, yeah, right? Completely. But then there's like a trick wouldn't be landed or somebody would hit the deck and it'd be like, Oh, like everybody would be so bummed out. You could hear it. And, and I can't imagine what that would do to you guys after, you know, cause you're fried. I'm yeah. sure you're fried. Yeah, completely. Like, let's just, you know, demo after demo, after drive, after demo. And you know what? It's it, something's going to give. Oh, always. Of course you're going to get hurt. It's inevitable. And, and we would tour during the summertime, right? Cause that's when everybody's out of school. Um, so we would end up in the South in the midday sun. And I remember just getting, almost getting, I probably had heat stroke and I thought I was going to pass out. And I mean, it was a whole, you know, it was terrible, <laughs> but cause I'm not acclimated to that. So we would be doing demos in, in the middle of the summer in hundred degree weather. And it was just gnarly. You know, it was, it was difficult. It would take, it would drain you. And then the physical aspect of it, of just, you know, but back then jump ramps just, 
hucking yourself off a ramp, landing on flat. It just took its toll. So the next day you're supposed to do that again and the next day and the next day and the next day. And, you're, and at some point, you know, your body's like, nope, you know what? I don't think you, you have it today. <laughs> and, you know, so if you show up to a demo and you're looking half ass, kids are like, what? What's going on? Or if you're not skating, that's the worst. If you're hurt, then you got to tell everyone, they, why are you skating? I'm hurt. Why are you skating? I'm hurt. Why are you skating? I'm hurt. We joked about making T-shirts that just said, I'm hurt. Which so, probably would have made so, life a lot easier. Com- completely. And because Sorry, got, I'm not skating today. I I'm twisted hurt. my ankle. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, you know, everyone can empathize with it because they're skaters. They get yeah. it. They're like, well, yeah, I get it. But you're there the first time they want to come and see you and witness, you know, the spectacle and you're hurt and you can't skate. And you feel bad, too, because you're like, this is what I do. This is why I'm here. It's like difficult. we just mentioned earlier, you know, when we were talking earlier today, duct tape. How much duct tape did you tape your ankles G- with? Jim Thibault religiously taped his ankles every single day. He bought brand new socks every day, and he cut them off after at the end of every day. Every day, duct tape his ankles completely. We were it was Tiger Bomb and duct tape kept us together. It's amazing. Yeah, and it, it's like, it, and you look at what's being done now. Oh yeah, yeah. But these guys got, and they, they all have personal trainers. They all work out incessantly. They have their own doctors, physical therapists. It, we had nothing. We had zero. Like I said, we had Tiger Bomb. <laughs> That's what we had. Tiger Bomb and beer. <laughs> Tiger Bomb, beer, and duct tape. And, and then, you know, later, Advil. That's crazy. Yeah. So um, not saying, not taking any away from the dudes now because they are insane and they are so gnarly and pushing themselves to the nth degree. It's 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 frightening. I watch it. I'm literally frightened for these dudes. I can't. No pads. Yeah. No, no pads. None. All. None. And just hucking their carcasses, just five forty, seven twenties. No helmet. Whatever. No, no, no. Oh, forget no the pads. Nothing. Forget just, okay. Yeah, I can understand sure. the no pad, like the knee pads. Yeah. But, but like five stale fish, five forties, no helmet no. in a concrete, in a concrete pool. Yeah. I don't know. Like, <laughs> I can deal with the no pad thing if you guys want to run it out or slide out on your butt, but like all it takes is one time when you slide out wrong and you. Yeah, I mean, you're going to ring that bell and it's not going to be fun. We, you know, Top Down and I went to Montreal and by chance they had the park series there, the Vans Park series. Oh, did you go? So we went and I mean, it was. Yeah. It was crazy. Yeah. It's nuts watching what they can do. And I mean, I walked over and looked down. I'm like, "Eh, I'm not even going to drop in. Oh, yeah. There's no way. Yeah. It's 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 incredible. Pedro Barros, that guy's out of his mind. That guy is so intense. He is so fun to watch. It's they're on another realm Com- completely. Yeah, they're not like. I mean, it's funny. You go back and you look at the tricks. You know, of my era that we were doing street skating that was, you know, uh, um, advanced at that time. It's it's hilarious. It's just like groveling around on the ground. <laughs> but I, I, I look at the I, I like to look at the progression and just go, okay, so let's say kickflip, then there's the big handrail, then there's the kinked handrail, then there's the grind down the handrail, then there's the nose pick grind down the handrail. Now there's Ollie Impossible to nose pick grind down the handrail. Where did that there's, come from? There's ever it's insane. It's there's nuts. everything. Yeah. The kid Yuto, he he, if you got you got to watch that kid. Oh my gosh, some of the stuff he did down the rail. What did he What did he do recently? He did a he does a, a three sixty nollie to board slide, but he also did ah oh, he did something so crazy. 
I, I just seen it and I, I can't remember what it, exactly what it is, but that kid has some tricks on rails that are mind boggling. I, I just remember hitting, you know, oh. hitting my nards once. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. fuck, yeah. this is brutal. Like, and then, and think about like the lengths they're going to nail these tricks consistently, consistently in contests. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm like, uh, the other day I watched somebody like nose pick grind to impossible out. out. Yeah. How do you get, I like, I can't even think about how to make the board do that. Uh, the, the level of, of technical technicality and consistency. That's what blows my mind. Like with those contests, like the street contests that they do now, like with Nyjah, you know, it's just some of the stuff he does is already just insane. It's just to be able to do this trick, like pull it off, hundred tries but he's doing it in this contest in his runs which is just it's mind-boggling as a, as a skater seeing the, the progression from where we started doing kickflips on the flat and kickflips you know over banks etc and then to, to rails like doing board slide down rails and that was a big deal not as you know in mark you know doing 50 50s down these rails that was just that was a beginning of something um that was um a whole new landscape you know it it's taking it to a whole nother level and pushing skating in a way that's uh becoming more technical and gnarly at the same time and that's a thing the the, the tech with the gnarly is what's wild to me because you used to have the tech skater you know you see rodney do all the crazy tech strip stuff and, and the then you have cardial on the other yeah, end and then you have and then you have cards doing the monsters and you're just like yeah and now they're, it's like they smashed you, together and had have, a love child. You have both. Kick flip 540 with no pads, you know, in, in, in these bowls. And you're just like, okay. I don't I don't know. Like, I, I'm enamored by what you can sit there and watch. Me too. If I get stuck in the rabbit hole of Instagram uh, on this the skating. skate video, I'm just like, and I could spend an hour. Like, what the hell is that? Oh, yeah. Slow it down. What is that? Do I, how did you do that? Yeah. There's some, there's some tricks I still don't understand. It's, and you know, because I'm not, um, I'm not, I don't know. I, I, I just, I can't, I don't understand what they're doing basically because I'm an old skateboarder because I'm old now. And so <laughs> I'm like, what, what the hell is that? What was that? Cause there's certain flips that they go, they, the inward flips and all that stuff. It's just, it's kind of escapes me. I no. saw something the other day where it was, I, I don't even know how to explain what it was. Ultimately it looked like a kickflip, but the board rotated 360 and then the individual turned their body stance and yeah. landed on the railing. Yeah. I don't know. And went, and it was just, I don't know which direction you're going. Like it looks like yeah. it was on reverse and backwards at the, you know, and forwards at the same time. Like, yeah, a lot of, a lot of these guys do stuff, switch, they do stuff forward. They do stuff, switch, um, the same tricks, uh, mirroring the trick. Like I know Ashad really digs that. Like, so he'll do some difficult trick, then he'll, he'll mirror it doing it switch. And so these guys now have the ability to pretty much be ambidextrous while they're skating. So sometimes there's some guys you're not sure which way they skate their actual stance. It's, it's, it's getting to that. So point. what you're saying is Christian Slater was ahead of his time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> He didn't. He, he didn't know which way he's. He, he stood, created the new. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyway, let's. We don't need to talk about skating like so in depth that way because people are getting lost. They're right like, now. what? They're what like, are you talking whatever. about? So, so now you're, you've, 
your knees. We've talked about this. Uh, yes. And you still get out there. Yeah. I skated the other day. I saw I saw your picture. I'm trying. And <laughs> but I mean musically you have been working really really hard for many a year playing not only in the states but in 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 Asia and in Europe and I think you really I think the music's amazing I've been to numbers of your shows I mean it's kind of funny how we actually met the first time was through social media yeah. and me going to one of the shows and but I think it's it's really you taught yourself how to play yeah yeah and you're and you're you're killing it the music's i personally i think the music's great and i it's in we play it in all the restaurants and it's it's a joy to listen to and it gets everybody i mean it's just really very comforting at the same time as it's very calming and i and i know that sounds may sound not be what you want to hear no no that that's great and it's and it's great in the restaurant. It's amazing to see people's reactions because you can see them moving to it, but they're very chill and they're enjoying their experience at the restaurant. And I think it's just, I love going to the shows. And I really want you to, I'd love it if you could explain like how you went from free beer, <laughs> which is like hardcore as it gets, to this, which is very jazz driven, really, you know, really elegant form of music. I mean, not that the other one wasn't, it's just, no, of course not. It's completely different. Um, well, going from punk, you know, and, and you're starting to learn an instrument and you're just kind of banging away. And then once you start actually getting, you know, understanding how it works, getting, um, to know the instrument and learning it, being more comfortable, a little more confident, you want to progress, right? It's like anything. So, there's, you know, so I was playing bass at that time, you know, mostly, and uh, I just kept wanting to learn and progress. I would sit in my garage if I wasn't skating, and I would just sit there and play bass for eight hours. And um, of course, then comes along more progressive music, Rush, Motorhead, Sabbath, all this stuff comes comes around it, you know, after punk, and I just start wanting to learn that stuff, just hearing it, and you start wanting to learn it, learn it, and mimic it, and um, and so you you become, you know. If, if you put enough time into anything, you're probably going to be pretty good at it. So anyway, I had been playing music this whole time before turning pro. And then when I turned pro, I didn't have the ability to be in a band anymore because I was traveling so much. So when I got my very first check from Powell as a professional skateboarder, I went and bought a drum machine and a four track. And I already had my bass and guitar. So then I started recording these you know, silly songs just when I had the time because I needed to have... I needed to play music and I needed to have that creative outlet in a different way. Skating is different than, than you know, obviously um, the way you think about music and the way you approach it and what it, what it um, sort of, what it, it's, it's kind of hard to explain what that feeling is that you get from music and the type of fulfillment um, and how it nourishes you. And it's a very different way than skateboarding, right? Than being physical. Physical that physical is 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 um, much more. It's much more demanding, um, and being much more present. Where music for me, I can get lost in it, and I really appreciate that. And, and it's that point of where you're kind of doing without thinking, um, which I enjoy, and and just being in the moment. 
and it's really expressive for me in in a different way. So so I bought the four track and and the drum machine started me and just started recording. And that's how the the solo recording stuff started out of necessity to, to remain creative and playing music. And so throughout the whole time I was pro, I would I would link up with like Chuck Treese in Philly. I've known Chuck for 35 years. So we would link up and we'd jam that night, you know, when I was on the road and and at wherever I was, I would always try to pick up an instrument and and play. And so when I'd come home, I would just always sit down, take a break and just and just play music and you know, probably, you know, take a day off from skating or something and just and just play. Um, and so there came a point in time when we when I quit Pal and we started doing real, when we started doing real, we went over to Europe and we did a bunch we're doing a bunch of demos, entering the contest over there, and there was a contest in Spain where I broke my ankle at the contest. And so um making my way back to the hotel after going to the doctor. They didn't give me a cast or anything. I had to go buy crutches. The whole It was this whole thing, man. And so... After, they didn't give you... They didn't cast you? No. They didn't because they were considering the swelling. So they just they just wrapped it. And so so it took me two days to get home. I had to... Yeah, I went home. I had to fly back alone and, and you know, dealing with these crutches. And I had to stop in, the, in, in London for an overnight. And by the time I got back home, they said the bone had shifted. So it'd be good to, you know, put some pins and plate in there. So I got, I still had the seven pins and a plate in there and they, you know, would heal faster, et cetera. Um, but so that downtime, I returned to music and I started making beats with, I had a sampler, uh, an old Emacs sampler, an outboard sequencer and my bass and my guitar and, and some recording gear. And I just started making songs. Um, so I wouldn't lose my fucking mind. Because, you know, it's very difficult as a skater, as a person knows when you're injured, you can't do the thing you love the most. And, and that's your job. Uh, it's difficult. So so I just started making making beats and making these instrumental songs and just kind of had them um, just re- recorded everything and just sort of sitting. This time came when I was doing this little clothing company called 40s. I made all I, I shot the video and. And I made all the music for the video. So I made all these tunes, was in the video, and then I got a call from a friend of mine who really dug the music. He's like, hey, how can we get a hold of this music? And I'm like, you can't. You know, Thomas Campbell was like, hey, Tommy, man, we should do something with this music. And then it got over to overseas, our distributor over there, um, one of the guys who was friends with the guys at Moax. He's like, hey, we really dig the music, and I want to get these guys interested in releasing it. And then James Lavelle heard it and was totally into it and wanted to release some music. <laughs> and I'm like, what? Like, release this? <laughs> who's who's going to buy this music? Like, you know, it was, it was totally foreign to me that anyone would buy instrumental music because there was nothing really like it that I knew of that was out there so much other than the old jazz that I listened to from the late 60s and early 70s, you know, that I was basically emulating. Um, so... The thing with Moax didn't work the first time around. So me and Thomas Campbell, he's like, I have a little label. We'll put it on my label, Galaxia. And and so I paid for half the manufacturing. They paid the other half because I was like, I don't want you to lose too much money. And so we made the record, you know, the Loose Grooves and Bastard Blues. And so that's how that came to be. And it was just music that I made for Escape Video. And people, you know, were into it. Um, so... Once that record came out, started circulating everywhere, and people were really into it. Um, and then it got back to Moax. So Moax said, "Hey, we want to do the record again." So I did two albums with Moax and also an EP, um, and that just kicked it off. 
kicked off the solo music career thing and um i haven't stopped yeah it, it was all out of necessity <laughs> none of it was ever meant to be a commodity it was never meant for mass consumption in that way it was just me doing my thing you know to uh keep from losing my mind because i couldn't skate i've been fortunate enough to have been in a studio a couple times uh you know one during uh, january 1st which is always rad when everybody was jamming yeah yeah that was super fun yeah, the and new then year's day. the new year's day and then the other time when you were when you were playing with ray and chuck and you guys were getting ready to go to japan and you were finishing up your album yeah and that was really fun yeah because then i was seeing you know you guys were critiquing yourselves and like really looking at it from a bigger picture it yeah. was it was a really interesting thing because i've never been in that environment before so it's it's very similar to when you look at a plate of food and you're like picking it apart piece by piece and and it's it was just wow okay that takes a lot there's like there was five of you in there like tearing it apart piece by piece I was like yeah. I'm just gonna sit in the corner and <laughs> shut my mouth because I think it sounds really good but I don't you know yeah it's it's just like anything you, know, you analyze you critique etc and you and you try to figure out well, what what does it need what does it not need that's usually what it really is like what can we take away what is it what is a song telling you that it needs and does not because often you could throw a whole bunch of stuff at it and then you just start omitting things right you're like nope doesn't need that doesn't need that that's clutter that's getting in the way that's you know um and so that getting to understand music in that way what it doesn't need is huge that's like that's that's when you get to a point where you're like uh it gets easier to be able to make music you like you know what it needs and what it doesn't it's the same thing with food less is more less is more and that's the way so much is with everything in life you know there's so much more power in simplicity if it's done well and people always think more is better and i just never understood that well you have a lot less to hide behind Com yeah you yeah. know when it's on the plate and there are more bells and whistles, and it's like detracts attention. Yes, from the final dish. Distraction. It's distraction. Yeah, and it's the same thing in music. It's the same thing in music now. Would you where you have these spectacles because they're they need to have the lights and the dancing girls with big old butts in your face, and you know that you need all that shit because when you strip it down, you just get have the music and the person trying to sing. It will not. It will not hold water. It no. will. It will not carry its weight. At all. No. So, you know. So you just so did, I'm going to have some spectacles coming up real soon. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got you just came back from a massive tour you did Japan. Yeah. And then yeah. you went to Europe. Yeah. And, and they, they're not super big. And, you know, um, it's just, a lot of travel. Though. It's just a lot of travel, which is which I enjoy. But it uh, Europe was a lot of driving, you know, at just the way it goes, um, which is fine because I'm used to it from skating. You know, we would drive eight, 12 hour days, um, whatever is necessary. So it's it's not that big of a deal other than on your body like remaining static for that long sedentary it just everything hurts much much more you're not moving as much um but but Japan I've been fortunate to be able to go every year um for quite a while now they've been fans and have really supported what I've done for for quite some time you know because they they make it happen where they get uh you know I have somebody a label over there that I work with they set everything up they they have all the clubs pitch in to get the funds together so they can bring us out and pay for everything's paid for. They treat you like a, they treat you. They're so gracious. It's incredible. It's almost, um, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like an asshole, you know, 
And, but, but they, everything is paid for, everything's taken care of. And then, you know, you make a little money and you can pay the band and everyone has a great time and it's not stressful. Everything's planned out. It's great. But everywhere else, you know, it's on me yep. to book the shows, to get the hotels, to pay for everything and hope that I make enough money back just to break even. And which is rare sometimes. And sometimes I will break even, which is, you know, but then my time is like, is lost in that sense of, you know, it's been two weeks. It's me for me to perpetuate what I do. So, um, but Europe was great. It was a great turnout. Um, Berlin was amazing as, as, uh, as that city is. Um, and we played, we did the UK, we, we did Germany, uh, Switzerland and Portugal that time, uh, just this last, last month, I think it was. And um, that was amazing. And now there's such good response. People already want me back and all these. And there's, there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot. I keep getting all these requests to come all over. And I'm like, really? You want me to come to um, Yugoslavia? Like anybody, people are listening there to my music. That's incredible. So do you, uh, do you have another album in the works right now? I'm working on one right now. So, and I know this because I've seen it, but when I went to Japan and I went to Tower Records, the Monster <laughs> Tower Records in 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 uh, Tokyo, I mean, there's a in whole Shibuya. section in Shibuya. There's you know, there's a whole TG section, yeah, in there, and there's a listening station where you can check. But you have how many albums in Japan? More, much more than. Well, I, I think ten. Yeah, there's there's the last one I put out there when I was just there. A couple, you know, May is the dub album that me and Chuck did together, Chuck Treese. Um, And it, I haven't released it anywhere else yet because the album that's resonating with people all over is The Road to Nowhere. Yep. And I don't want this the dub album to follow that up because they're so different. There's such different approaches um, that I don't want to throw... You know, just, it's, it's kind of from... It'd be a little left field, I think, if I follow up with that. So I want to follow up with something along the lines of Road to Nowhere, and then I'll, I'll release that like in, in somewhere in between albums, um, because there are people keep asking me to release it. But you know, I don't have a proper distribution. I don't have any way to sell them individually, other than putting them on, you know, Amazon. And people, you know, I I would rather not have that be the vehicle. But we don't. I don't have another vehicle. Um, it's just me and my lawyer. It's my lab, my own label, and we do it. And he he does the legal stuff, and I do everything else. So it's really difficult to get the music out there. There's um, been a lot of people overseas, um, Germany specifically, who've um, pressed uh, their own colorways of vinyl that they've paid for, which is great. They're like, hey, we want to make two or three hundred red of, of Road to Nowhere, and I'm like, cool, we'll tack on a few hundred. You guys, you know, pay for for your for your share, and we'll pay for this and. So we're not putting tons of money out of pocket um, when when we do that, which is great, you know. Just trying to make your money back, right? It's it's difficult. I mean, no, we only sell vinyl, and other than that, it's streaming. Nobody, their CDs are done. Obviously, even MP3s are done. Oh, crazy, right? Yeah, so. because CDs were the wave of the future. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so many terrible CDs. <clears throat> Just the mastering on the early CDs are so terrible. Oh man, I have some CDs that sound terrible. So, so when yeah. <laughs> Stacy released the Bones Brigade film, hmm. Animal Chin, or the or the, no. the first one, no, the new Bones one. Brigade video show, no, 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 no. Oh, 
the history. The, oh, right. The, the, the sort of documentary. The documentary about the Bones Brigade. Mm-hmm. How much did that change everything for all of you guys? You especially. I mean, um, I definitely, from an outsider's perspective, I looked at it and it looked like it brought everything right back to the top of the, right back to the top of the file. Everybody was paying attention again. It, it definitely created awareness for, you know, 35 to 55 <laughs> You know, there's a window, an age group that lived that era and that it was such a special time in their lives because, you know, it was it was they were growing up young skateboarding with all their friends. They had their crews. Everybody had their crews of friends that they skated with. And it's such a it was such a good time. And they, you know, reflect on that with such fondness. And we were right in the middle of that. And we were, you know, kind of instrumental uh, um, in their you know, uh, evolution. So you have all these guys who are, you know, a little younger than me coming up and just, Oh, I loved you guys. I love the bones brigade. And, you know, can, when I love you, I seen you guys here and I seen you guys there and I have all the videos and, you know, I have all these boards, you know, some guy just had me sign every single board that he, every one of the reissues that came out just recently. And I was like, wow, you bought all these boards, you know, they're not cheap, a hundred bucks, I think. And, you know, I'm grateful, so grateful to have that, um, you know, the opportunity and, and to have these people who feel as though I've, um, I'm an, I've an asset to society in some way. I'm not just, you know, just another asshole. So it, it's, it's, it's humbling. It, it is. It's actually, it has the opposite effect on me all the time where you, I'm just like, ah, I, I, cause I don't feel as though these accolades that you receive that you're, de- that I'm deserving of it because once again, it's like music for me is, it's a very, it's a very loner journey, just like skating was. And, um, I do these things out of necessity. It's not as though I'm trying to change the world, um, by any means. So it's difficult when I, when I, when I, you have this whole other perspective of, you know, you bring thank you for bringing this music into the world and i get these emails these that are stunning that are saying how much my music means to them and it's wild it's just it's pretty wild it's um definitely humbling well i mean excuse me road to nowhere there uh, you have multiple songs on the on the documentary uh yeah there are some songs in there i think from i don't know what album maybe perpetual but I think also, Maybe, I mean, sure. that was, there was a lot of folks that they were like, oh, do you know this? I was like, oh yeah, I have that album. Yeah, I have, I've had that. And yeah. friends reaching out, like, where do you get that? Do you, have you heard that before? Yeah. I mean, that was another big introduction right. to more, to more, to, to more people. Yeah. Was it fun touring with everybody again? It was really fun hanging out with those guys it's because it's just, everyone's still pretty much exactly the same. And everyone is just their own character in their own way. You know, Lance is just fun and, and hilarious and it's still total dork and but a total sweetheart and sweetheart and very um earnest, you know. And Cab is still Cab. He's always competitive and always, you know, he's just he's a funny dude. And Tony's also most people don't know he's Tony's really funny. Tony Hawk is actually really funny. Um and you know, McGill's McGill just it's the best. I mean, we are all old, so it's all tempered by age. There's no, no one thinks they're, you know, what they were in the eighties. Like I'm, you know, I'm the inventor of the McTwist, you know, or I'm, I invented street skating or I invented, you know, whatever. It, everyone's just humbled by time. 
it's pretty sweet. It's been so cool to see all of that and like the reintroduction of the chin ramp down at yeah, uh, down at Woodward. Yeah. And I mean, you and I had talked about that prior to it coming, yeah. and I was trying to figure out a way to get my ass <laughs> down there for that. Yeah. Um, but seeing that happen all over again, how how was that experience? Because I mean, that was a pretty powerful one. The ramp only last. The original ramp only lasted for what? Four days. Four or five days max. Yeah. And, you know, you were skating vert then. You yep. skated it. And to go and have it be rebuilt and see it all over again and have everybody try to do that signature photo again. Of- for, for me, I was like a little kid. I mean, just watching those guys skate. I'm sitting on the, on the flat. I'm like, yeah, you know, just, just, just like a little kid. I loved it. I love skateboarding. And I, I, I'm, a, I'm a fan. So watching these guys who we have, we have this connection because of what our experience was 30 years ago. And we, we lived in this time in this little bubble where skateboarding was this new thing, you know, the, and it was huge. And it was, it just, there, it was a short window, five years of, of our time together that transformed us into who we are now. And it actually gave us the ability to continue doing what we love to do till this very day. So none of that is lost on any of us. Um, so anyway, to, to, to just see this happening again, 30 years later, it was, it's just like being a little kid. It was, it was like watching and it was gnarly Tony Hawk. He was, cause he's so used to skating much bigger ramps. He's skating this thing. He looked, he was, he was, it was maybe three feet taller than him. It was wild. You're like, wow, you're too big for this thing. And he, he did a 540 over the channel and he just overturned a little bit and, and, and just whack, knocked himself out right there. We were, it was just us. They were filming, they were shooting, you know, the video and shooting the photo, the Grant Britton photo. And he just knocked himself out. His wife was there. We we're all there and like, holy shit. And he's laying on the flat and she just goes over. It's, it's like routine at this point though, which is really um, kind of frightening for Tony, you know, knocking himself out so many times. And so she walked over there. Gain, regained consciousness and he was up, got him up. And he just, and then afterward we're just sitting there talking and, and I'm just looking at him like, how many more hits can you take like that? You're 50 years old. It's, it's, it's insane. Like his drive is insane and his ability is amazing. So just to see that scared the crap out of me. I did not like to see that. I mean, you guys yeah. are, you're it your was, own family. And I think that's, what's really that's what I take away from it. Watching back then and hearing you now and seeing that moment, like getting to watch that footage of you guys all being there. And I was like showing my son and, and you guys are like a family. It's, it's become that because we had this unique experience at a young age that very few people have ever had. I don't think there's very I, many people that will ever have an no, experience like that. No, that really isn't. So <laughs> when you're, you know, you, it's difficult to talk about it with other people because they didn't experience it. And it's so removed for them, especially non-skaters, that at sometimes you, you feel it difficult to relate in certain situations. So when you get around these guys who you know had that exact same experience, you just, you know, there's a lot of um, camaraderie and comfort in that knowing. Um so yeah, it's interesting over the years, I think everyone's kind of gotten tighter and it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely, it's definitely like a, a brotherhood. That's awesome. Yeah. 
that's a really, I would say a very important thing to cherish. Yeah. It, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's strange. It's awesome. I, I mean, from I, an out, what's really cool for, for me as an outsider is that it didn't implode. Yeah. Because a lot of those things implode. Yeah. Bands implode. Completely. I mean, you guys are, you're literally like the band. Yeah. But you never yeah. imploded. No. You know, you'd have your spats and you'd have your. Well, we everybody went their different ways. They took their own paths and, and, but there was no, there was never any friction or any anger or any BS. It's just everybody moved on. And we all, you know, obviously have um, come back together under, be, you know, because of Stacy and under his vision once again. So it was kind of it was kind of interesting when uh, you know it's like ah oh, Stacy's like the glue. That's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. So what's next on the docket for you? <laughs> um, trying to survive. Uh, that's number one. Um, this album, trying to trying to figure out uh, how to make an album again. Every time I go about doing it, I. I'm just, I'm always amazed in the sense of like, how did I do that? I, I, it's always, the process is kind of always new to some degree and it's daunting because it's just me. So it's, it's always, uh, you know, it's a challenge. So that's, that's what I'm kind of at right now. Just trying to, trying to finish this record and, you know, um, and then I have a thing coming up with uh, FTC. We did a collaboration. I have a small capsule clothing line. Jacket, shirt, beanie, keychain, T-shirt, um, collection that's coming out, and I might go to Japan because FTC Japan is going to release it, so I'm probably going to go in November. Awesome um, for that, and do that little thing because me and me and Kent, you know, from FTC, I've known him, I don't know, for a very long time, thirty five years, um, and we've all, and you know, within our you know later years, obviously, we've been talking and always wanting to do some something together some kind of collaboration and he knew about, you know, forties when I was doing the clothing line, obviously, cause I carried it. And, um, so we just were talking like, Oh, let's do a little clothing capsule. So that, that got that going and, you know, um, Converse stuff, uh, is happening. Um, gonna, um, I'm in the middle of trying to write a song for, uh, Jake Johnson's little video that they're doing. Um, and then reels putting out a video soon with mainly Ashad and Kyle Walker. And I think me and Chuck Treese are going to do like an original score for that, which would be cool, which would be a new thing instead of trying to license music. So that'll be, that would be super fun. Um, yeah. There's always stuff happening. There's always stuff brewing. Always, always, always yeah. spinning the wheels. Yeah. I got to keep doing stuff. I got to keep moving. We all do. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's being sedentary and it just doesn't work. That's a death. That's, that's it. <laughs> that's, you know, yeah. So we're going to we're going to end this with a little question game that I do. All right, let's Okay. Hear it. So it's pretty straightforward rapid fire. Uh-oh. Yeah. And I I, I it's going to be altered a little bit because I already know a little bit about you. So I kind of <laughs> change it up a little bit. All right. So I mean normally I'm asking like hamburger hot dog, but for you it's called neither. <laughs> right? Okay. You're yeah. right? Yeah. So um beer or tequila? Beer. What kind of beer? Oh, uh, <laughs> light. Light beer. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Tofu tempeh. 
Oh, tofu. Tofu. Okay. Favorite vegetable? Oh. Gotta say potato. Really? Yeah. I think so. Okay. So versatile. Um, ramen or pasta? Ramen. Wow. I would have never guessed that. Oh, yeah. I would have thought you would have gone down the pasta. Well, you have been going to Japan a lot. Yeah. No, it's my favorite. Most, like, your favorite meal experience in Japan? Oh, man. I've been fortunate to be privy to some serious meals. Um, oh, my gosh. There's There was one where uh, handmade soba from scratch by a master who was like 80 years old with fresh grated wasabi root and and it was probably you know two minutes old and and in the environment that that we were in um yeah that that's a memorable one burrito taco burrito always not always no not always pinto or refried pinto I like this. This is interesting. It's kind of fun. Yeah. Coffee or tea? Neither. I stopped drinking tea. I stopped drinking coffee years ago, and I stopped drinking tea because no caffeine. Yeah. No caffeine. No caffeine. Wow. I don't think I could survive. Yeah. I. I. Um. Yeah. I loved green tea, but the caffeine wasn't wasn't sitting with me right. Anymore. Really? Yeah. I drink beer and water, and literally, and almond milk. That's it for smoothies. There's hmm. only three things I drink. That's it, period. Beer, water, oh, no. Yep. Really? Yeah. Really. I, I haven't had soda in 20 years, maybe more. Yeah, I mean, that's... Of any kind, or any non, no sparkly water stuff, none of that. I'm not interested. Yeah. <laughs> Snake run, slappy session. Ooh. Depends on who's at the slappy session. Okay, a, a, it's got to be at the DMV though, SF DMV. Ah, shit. With if if the crew is there, then 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 the DMV. Julian and Mick and Jim, like forget it. That then DMV slappies all day. But a snake run, a good one. Oh, endless fun. There really aren't that many of those no, anymore. No, not at not at all. There aren't. You went to the Trashmore one. That was a great one. Um, Mount Trashmore in Virginia Beach. Yeah, yeah, that well, was a great one. There, there's one in Fremont at that Fremont Skate Park. There's a little one, but it's too tight. They didn't, they crammed it in a small space. So it's, if you hit one or you go over a hip, you're already missing the second hip. So it's, it's fun, but it's too tight. There's one in Santa Rosa. There's a little one in Santa Rosa. At that Santa Rosa skate park? Yeah, there's kind of a little one, but it's not like, it's not like the descending. No, not the cool one. Santa Rosa's rad, all the rounded lips, the old park is fun. Yeah, Yeah. that one's really cool. Yeah. So a park session or a regular Back in the old neighborhood session. Back in the old neighborhood session, by far. So what do you think about the electric skateboard? I don't. <laughs> I hate them when I see them. I just cringe. I Honestly, I don't have anything against them. I don't think anything of them. Um, I think that they're a mode of transportation. Yep. Um, you it, know, it's I, just weird for me to see somebody standing there on a skateboard going, going uphill. uphill. <laughs> yes. yes. That's where it weirds it, me out. It is really a strange sensation because you can almost feel it. And you're like, 
what? What's happening here? Yeah. You're going, you, is this, am I, is everything in reverse? Shouldn't you be going down? down yeah. 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 It's strange. It's odd. But I, I honestly, I have nothing against it because it's I mean, not, because it's not a skateboard to me. No. It, at all. It has nothing to do with a skateboard. I used to have uh, one side of my shirt and my pants were worn out from carrying my board up the hill. Yeah. Grip tape. Grip tape marks, grip tape marks on oh, the side. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Man. So you've been on indie for how many years? Since day one, since they it's not many of that were were manufactured, and you had your Walker, you had your uh, custom <laughs> Walker <Yeah>. issue. <laughs> I saw those. You your assisted Walker issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my You've model's been... coming out soon enough. Yeah, yeah, man. So I think there's so many fun things you've done, and you've shared so much with so many people. Just musically, skating, you know. It's just, you are a true blue SF native. They kicked me out a while ago, though. <laughs> They're kicking a lot of people out. Yeah, no. Yeah, it's true. I mean, you know, it's hard to come back here and, um, you know, I still love it, but I, but I, it's a definite love-hate um, uh, relationship that I have with the city now, unfortunately. So you also have BS, right? You're doing yeah. BS. Yeah, I just did a BS with Thomas Campbell, and that should come out in, within two weeks. So if anybody wants to check that out, you can always check out being a BS with Tommy G, and that's uh, you can check that out through Real through the website. Yeah, yeah, through our site, and uh, it's on the YouTube's. But there's a, there's a bunch of episodes out there. BS with TG. Yep, there's one with uh, Jeremy Fish. Yep, you've got one with. Um, Who's the American flag van dude? That one was pretty funny. Joe Brooke. Joe Brooke. Yeah. That one was really cool. A lot, a lot of people did one with Tony Hawk. Did one with, uh, with Lance and Ray and, um, man, a lot of people, Eric Dressen and who else? I don't know. I did. I've done a bunch of them now. Matt Hensley. That was a great one. Oh, wow. That sounds like it'd be um, really fun. There's, there's a whole bunch of them out there. It's, a, it's my only problem. I don't have, um, I, the continuity that I need. To, to keep it um, going in the sense of uh, viewership because deluxe is too understaffed. And so I have to just, I'm at the, the will of um, the powers that be, you know, to, to delegate who, what filmer gets is doing what, well, he has to go shoot this guy. He has to go film this guy. And so BS is on the back burner until that guy's free and can come edit the part or can come shoot it or whatever. And so, and there's no money and they're not giving me money to go fly around and interview people, you know? So, um, I, the ones I've done in LA, um, you know, I just would take a trip down there and, and we have a guy down there film. So I did the one with Nottis down there too. And, um, but yeah, there's this, there's nothing, there's no support for it. So it's just sporadic. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. henceforth why we're on two clown foes, clown nosed <laughs> microphones here in my office at my house. Yeah. Um, I wish I could film these cause I think it'd be super fun. Yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot more to to have undertaken. Completely. So yeah. No, this is good. It's chill. Yeah. Right. Like I said, it's unedited. No, you know, whatever you say is out there. So we got faces for radio anyway. <laughs> Tommy, thanks for hanging out. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Yeah. I know you're uh, super busy and you got a lot going on, but uh, it's great to have you. Yeah. Thank you. This has been pretty cool. Cheers. Later.